In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As Americans and Christians, we gather here this morning as citizens and saints. I'm speaking loosely. Not all of us are American citizens. And by saint, I don't mean perfect. I just mean faithful. All Saints Sunday is a great day for celebrating that one identity. Tuesday is Election Day, an important occasion for exercising citizenship. With each of these identities comes, come risks, rewards, and responsibilities. And between the two, there are important interactions. Historically, there have been times when between the two identities, there was no distinction. Under King David, to be a citizen was to be a saint. And to a great extent, that was also true in England under Queen Elizabeth I. At other times, being faithful to the one identity is called for opposition to the other. Such was the case in Hitler's Germany, and to a great extent for faithful Jews after the fall of David's kingdom. That is what we hear about in Daniel's dream this morning. I saw in my vision the four winds of heaven stirring up a great sea, and from the ocean there emerge like Godzilla. Four great monsters. Each beast is meant to represent a kingdom of of the ancient world. All of them were conquerors of Israel. Alexander's Greece was the last in that succession. A Greek monarch named Antiochus Epiphanes had despoiled the temple in Jerusalem and placed a monument to to Zeus above the altar. He expected Jews as citizens to pay homage, and as saints, they couldn't. From ancient times to now, this has been a recurring theme. Early Christians under Nero, Polish Catholics in the USSR, Nigerian Christians under Idi Amin, Christians today in China, Iraq, Iran, and God help them, North Korea have had to reckon with the beast. Looking in the mirror, this was also the plight of African Americans from slavery through the Jim Crow South. Now I'm going to make a claim about our country's place in history. For the United States, the denial of liberty to blacks is the exception that proved the rule. Historically, racial, religious, and political oppression, up to and including slavery, were the worldwide norm. What was new with us is that we have recognized that our complicity in such treatment is a scandal. We feel guilty for it and embarrassed by it. This is not because we're saints, but because we are citizens of a nation that from its founding has espoused a higher and better rule. So yes, our history is flawed. Our union is still far from perfect, and right now our politics are dismal. But let's not forget this. On our worst days, America is blessed. We inherited a new kind of kingdom, 
crafted by our fathers, Ad Adams, Hamilton, Madison, Jefferson, that curbs our own worst instincts by balancing and constraining power, and it means to give the better angels of our nature room to fly. Our Constitution is a wonder of the world because it's built to tame the beast. In Luke, Jesus rolls out responsibilities of sainthood. But I say to you that listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. That sounds impossible, but we have seen it done. Led by Martin Luther King, black Southern Christian saints put all of it in practice on the streets of Selma, Birmingham, and Little Rock. Both then and now, their love of enemies played to mixed reviews. First, Malcolm X, now Ta-Nehisi Coates, have scorned it. I've finished Coates' book, and now I'm reading the autobiography of Malcolm X. Baffled, Coates remembers Black History Month growing up in Baltimore. Every February, my classmates and I were herded into assemblies for a ritual review of the civil rights movement. Our teachers urged us toward the example of freedom marchers, freedom riders, and freedom summers, and it seemed that the month could not pass without a series of films dedicated to the glories of being beaten on camera. The black people in these films seemed to love the worst things in life. They seemed to love the men who raped them the women who cursed them, loved the children who spat on them, the terrorists that bombed them. Why are they showing this to us, he wondered. On reading that, my first thought was not to fault Ta-Nehisi Coates for his dismay, because I am no more a pacifist than Malcolm X, whom he admires. I agree that self-defense is virtuous, and protecting the innocent with force can be commendable. That puts me in the good company of a line of saints going back from Franklin Roosevelt to Moses. After Daniel, the Jews went to war with Antiochus Epiphanes and cleansed the temple. But I say to you that listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. On second thought, that isn't really pacifism necessarily. There are ways to do every bit of that and still protect the innocent and uphold the common good. Now I'm thinking of the cops who line the streets protecting protesters who verbally provoke them. They are doing good to those who curse them trying to stay calm, keep peace, and protect the public safety while being mocked and sped on, aren't they? Coates says, no, they aren't. He sees America as beastly and those police as the arm of political oppression. In Prince George's County, Maryland, a black police officer fatally shot an innocent, unarmed man named Prince Jones. It was a tragic case of mistaken identity. But Coates says 
but even so, it was no accident. The killer, he writes, was the direct expression of all his country's beliefs. Coates and I are opposites. He believes neither in America nor God. He writes, raised conscious in rejection of a Christian God, I could see no higher purpose in Prince's death. I believed, and still do, that our bodies are ourselves, that my soul is the voltage conducted through neurons and nerves, and that my spirit is my flesh. To be a saint takes faith. To be a citizen takes hope. In the 1940s, young Malcolm X said why World War II was not his problem. Whitey owns everything. He wants us to go and bleed for him. Let him fight. Malcolm's ancestors had been brought here as slaves, and his people still were blocked from participation in the rewards of democracy. Shall we blame him for rejecting its responsibilities? In his shoes, would I be more patriotic? I doubt it. In human moral reckoning, Malcolm's cynicism was par for the course. Even so, he was missing something. America's defeat would have meant world rule by a beast of unprecedented malice. It wasn't just for Whitey's sake that Hitler had to be defeated. What Malcolm also lacked was hope. Hope that is seen, St. Paul writes, is not hope. So it was the Reverend Dr. King who staked a hopeful claim on America's unfulfilled potential. The ingredients were already here in principle. Look in the mirror, he said to white America, and compare what you see to the portrait painted by your founders. You have said what you want to be, so be that. We have come to cash a check, he thundered, a promissory note written in the Declaration and the Constitution to which every American of every race falls heir. The American cup runneth over with rewards. I'll name a few. Self-government, balance of powers, freedoms of speech, religion, commerce, and association, courts that work, orderly transfer of power, safe streets, national security, free public education, national rivers, parks, and forests, clean air and water, emergency aid following disaster. No part of that is perfect, and not any of it is cheap or easy. Our founders did not try to build utopia. Instead, they built a government to guard against our built-in human imperfections that make utopia a pipe dream. But life is good here. That's why immigrants are knocking at the gates for refuge. What our country cannot do is show us what it means to be a human being. That is a religious question. America leaves it up to us to answer it. Malcolm X finally found his consolation in Islam, and that told him that we are indeed more than nerves and neurons and that there is more to spirit than our flesh. And on his pilgrimage to Mecca, he finally realized that race means nothing in the eyes of God. 
Christian faith and Islam hold those beliefs in common, along with many more. There are also differences. For example, Thomas Aquinas respected the Muslim philosopher Averroes, but disagreed with Muslim teaching concerning what it means that God is active in the world. For Averroes, God's will is overpowering in a way that renders nature useless and human beings impotent. By retort, Aquinas argued that God has given humans freedom and God has given natural forces work to do, which beliefs are the foundation for democracy and modern science. Aquinas traces these gifts to their source in God and to God's own goodness, which shares itself out, causing the world and us to resemble him, Aquinas said, to resemble God in being active. To the likes of us, God has delegated power. Come Tuesday, how we use it is what's on the line. Here's another example of religious difference. Two weeks ago, Julie and I were guests at dinner with Kutin Law, the Zen monk who was spiritual advisor to the Dalai Lama. It was a happy night with a delightful and inspiring man, and it was clear that Christian faith and Buddhism have major experiences and themes in common. There are also differences. For example, Kutin Law explained Buddhist teaching about karma, which holds that our deeds, both good and bad, follow us through life, stay with us through death, and are reborn with us in our soul's next incarnation in this world. That means that our, the lives we've got are the just desserts for the lives we've lived before. Saints believe that Christ saves us from our just desserts, that in his grace our sins are cleansed, in baptism, we renounce our inappropriate attachments, dying to sin, we call this, and we are invited to start over. By accepting, we are reborn. At our death, we don't have to try life on earth again, hoping to do better. We are freed from the struggle, and we move onward and upward to fulfillment and perfection in a far, far better world. Reinhold Niebuhr said that this hope is what defines the Christian church. We are a community said of hopeful believers who are not afraid of life or death. In faith we know the whole of life and all historical vicissitudes stand under the sovereignty of God who is merciful and holy, and whose good will towards us is seen in Christ with sparkling clarity. Boom, boom, boom. In this faith, we know that those beasts, while formidable, are limited in power. As Jesus promised, they may kill the body, but they cannot destroy the soul. Those whose names that we will say out loud this morning in this service, are alive in God on that journey upwards to perfection. Prince Jones is on that journey upward to perfection.
in the immortal words of Dr. King, in this faith we hew stones of hope even from the mountains of despair. Hope is our strength as both citizens and saints. On both church and state, it is a blessing for the kind of society it builds and for the betterment it brings.